Hello, everybody. Welcome to LettermanRow.com. I am Jeremy Birmingham. This is Talking Stuff, the Ohio State Recruiting Podcast, brought to you by Letterman Row and Buyers Automotive. If you are looking for an auto, head to BuyersAuto.com and find the best selection of new and used vehicles in central Ohio and pretty much anywhere else in the world because the internet is a place that exists. And today on the internet, myself, Zach Carpenter, and Spencer Holbrook are breaking down the latest in Ohio State football recruiting, including the impact made by a couple of new assistant coaches for the Buckeyes. And we're going to break down what I saw in San Antonio at the All-American Bowl last week. So let's get to it. Welcome to the show, guys. Spencer, it's been a while since you've been on Talking Stuff presented by Buyer's Auto. Uh, Everyone's been clamoring for your return. So I wanted to make sure that in this new year, we give them what they want. And what the people want is more. Spencer Holbrook, how are you? I am well. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly what the people want, but we're here to they, give it. They clamor. They clamor. They clamor. Are you, are you already feeling uncomfortable? Do you remember how to do this? Do you remember where, where the locker rooms are and all that? I mean, how, how, how are you feeling right now, kid? Uh, it feels a little bit like a road environment, but we'll power through. Uh, road environment. Let's talk about going on the road. Ohio State recruiting is a couple days away from going back on the road. The dead period ends at the end of this week. Uh, Today is Tuesday, January 11th, and this was supposed to be the day that we were going to find out about A.J. Harris, the four-star cornerback from uh, Phoenix City, Alabama, Phoenix City Central High School now. He's transferred from the Glenwood School uh, down there to Phoenix City Central, and A.J. is not going to make a decision today as we broke on Letterman Row a week ago. And simply put, guys, like there's just too many things happening for these kids who have a year to signing day to make a decision. Yeah, and that's something I wrote a couple of weeks ago when I was asked to the my prediction for the next 2023 commitment. I said AJ Harris because his was the his uh, decision date was the uh, nearest coming up. But I did say these these situations are always fluid, and I knew from talking with with his dad, like yes, that's his public commitment date, but it's not set in stone. And I kind of had this feeling that Kerry Combs' situation, his future at the Ohio State, wasn't going to be set. By that date, and I kind of had this uh, this underlying feeling that he might push that date back. And like you said, there's just too much going on that he there, there's no reason for him to rush into a into a decision right now when he's as highly prioritized of a kid as he is. Yeah, and he knows he doesn't want to change his mind, and that's a big part of this puzzle. When he makes his announcement, Spencer, he wants to be done, and it's not just Kerry Combs and the uncertainty around him at Ohio State, but Brett Venables leaving Clemson. Uh, the, the talk about Jay Valai at Alabama potentially going to Oklahoma with Venables. I mean, uh, Corey Raymond leaving LSU and going to Florida, which is now a spot that uh, AJ wants to make sure he goes down and visits because of Billy Napier and, and, and Corey Raymond. It's just really hard. I mean, you, you talked about this a little bit on Twitter on Monday. Like, college football is in a weird, weird place. And most of this stuff kind of goes downstream to the high school uh, prospects. And AJ Harris is just one of these guys who's trying to figure out the current. Yeah, and I think one of the things that nobody's talking about is, you know, the coaches have a lot of power. The college players, when they're in college, have a lot of power. The high school athlete is the loser in in college football being a mess right now because there's less spots on rosters. Coaches are moving around more. So, like, all that aside, there's no reason to rush into a, a commitment when you don't want to change your mind. You don't want to go back on, on giving a coach your pledge, but you also don't know what anything is going to look like on signing day. And so – A.J. Harris might be one of these guys that sets the standard for why am I committing a year early when I can just wait and figure out exactly what the landscape looks like? You know, you don't know how many guys are going to be on which rosters and which coaches will be coaching them a year from now. You you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow because of the way that, you know, 
Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly and all these coaches have shook it, have shaken up this entire landscape. And so, you know, it's interesting that he's delaying this decision, but it doesn't surprise me because I think he's going to be, you know, here like a harbinger for things to come because guys just, you know, I wouldn't make a decision right now. There's no way with all these coaches moving around. It just doesn't make any sense to to lock into a commitment a year before you sign. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the whole reality. Kind of, go ahead, go ahead. Zach. I kind of think that 2023, like you're saying, Spencer, could be one of these cycles where we see players take back a little bit of control, so to speak. Because, I, I, like you said, there's just so we saw this last cycle where things go, went haywire. One of the wildest coaching carousels we've ever seen, and then the in, uh, implementation of the transfer portal, the, uh, the one-time rule here, uh, where you get immediate eligibility. I do think we could see this cycle wind up being one where. We see more commitments later and later in the process or commitments on signing day in, in the December early period, or even maybe like Berm and I have talked about before, maybe the regular signing period becomes uh, more popular, for lack of a better word. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Berm. Well, I mean, there have been discussions at the NCAA level about moving the early signing period, and I think that's something that eventually is going to have to happen, because if anyone thinks that this year's coaching carousel circus is an anomaly, I mean... It is to this point, but it's very unlikely that it will be in the future. This is this is what's coming in college football, and it, it really has um, sort of changed the landscape of the way these kids have to view things. And there's no guarantee that if you commit next month, that things aren't going to happen in, in June or I mean, or or next uh, October. I mean, th- this is just where we're heading, and you you feel bad for the kids. Uh, you do understand, however, that there are th- those top 100, top 125, top 200 players those guys still have some leverage and they still have the authority and power to kind of make the changes. It's, it's really the guys beneath that in that 350 to 700 range on the national rankings where they're just going to be like, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and you know, you look at even schools like uh, winning, winning college football programs like Kansas state, for example, have basically just said, we're going to only recruit 15 high school players a year and save 15 spots a year for the transfer portal. And, and these kids, I actually think it behooves them when they do have a school in mind and they know where they want to go to make that decision early and put themselves in a spot. But it does underscore the importance of choosing a school, not based on a specific coach and more about what you're actually looking for in the school. And uh, that's something that I think AJ is going to have to, to really sort of parse through. If I can just add something real quick, I think, you know, one of the things that you might see, and this isn't about AJ Harris, because I know he's considering Clemson, but a school most notably like Clemson, who likes to put the pressure on guys to commit, you know, you get them on that visit and say, why don't you just commit, you know, Clemson is the most known school to do this. I think the next couple of recruiting cycles could hurt that philosophy of recruiting, because these guys, these high school kids are going to look at, you know, a coaching staff and be like, why am I committing there already? I don't even know if you're going to be there. Yeah. So the, you know, I, think, I think that that recruiting philosophy is dying out. I, I that that just can't work. That you can't sustain that anymore in this day in college football. Well, because you have to decide if you're going to allow that to carry over through the entire cycle. And these coaches at these schools are going to have to decide. Okay, this player can do this, and this player can tell me he's going to visit somewhere else, and this guy can't. And that's why I mean, even if you look at Ohio State, and we talk about Ohio State here on Talking Stuff presented by Byers Auto, um, think about. Uh, Omar Abor situation. And, and this is a guy who, uh, you know, was recruited by Ohio State harder and more consistently than any play, than any other school in the country. As far as the big schools recruiting him, the school, the programs that are that he's been uh, desiring their attention. Right. Ohio State, Larry Johnson has been the most consistent factor in his relationship and his recruitment for the last year. 
he commits to Ohio State on January 2nd and immediately is talking about making visits to other schools. And, um, you know, we're three days away from finding out if he's going to make those visits. And I don't think that even a player like, like Omari Abor, who has the high upside he has, Ohio State and Omari Abor have to make a very big decision in these next few days. Like if, if he decides to go visit elsewhere, Ohio State is still recruiting Christian Miller in the class of 2022. I wouldn't be surprised if they're like, hey, you know what? If you want to go make these visits elsewhere, just not be committed. And that's these schools and these players, there's going to be this tug of war, this back and forth between them as far as like uh, who has the leverage. And every recruitment is going to be different based on that player's profile and that player's uh, power in the class. And I, I think that, you know, schools like Clem like uh, Clemson, like Spencer mentioned, but also Penn State's another one, very high, very high pressure sales pitch when kids are on visits. Um, you know, you're going to see – as the cycles change and, and all these coaching changes happen at the end of the year, you're going to see a lot of kids take late visits and as it is going to put some interesting uh, things out there. Yep. Some people hated the fact that Omari was so honest, like just I'm committed, but it just means that uh, I'm committed right now. I'm still going to take visits. I'm still open to other schools. I thought it was refreshing that he was at least honest with everybody. Like, Hey, this is still, this is still a, a live thing here. And I don't know. I, I kind of feel like he, he took a little bit of, uh, of the control back in his recruitment for, like I keep saying control, but um, by committing, by locking in his spot. And now if he does want to go take other visits, if Ohio State wants to tell him, all right, well, then decommit. That puts them in a, wor a more precarious, worse position if you have to tell him, well, then decommit if you're not, if you're going to go take visits to other schools. Yeah, I mean, but Spencer, does it put him in a worse position? I mean, don't you have to have some sort of standard? Well, especially on a guy who's not going to be there for spring football, if you, you know, that means that, you know, more in times than not, not everybody's JT to him is going to come in and, and make an impact right away without spring football. I think, you know, some of these freshmen that, that come in and contribute early have those spring practices. And so if a guy's not going to be there and you need a defensive end, it's not just a body. If you need like a playmaker for next year, you have to know what's going to happen when you go into spring ball, because you could bring in theoretically a guy in the next 10 to 12 days from the transfer portal if you wanted. If you needed that, I don't think Ohio State needs that. But the idea of, you know, are we going to wait on this guy to arrive in June or are we going to have a guy come get in the system in the in spring and get acclimated and maybe add a playmaker? You know, that roster spot is not always going to be there. And so if you're Ohio State, you need a little bit of clarity. You know, are you are you committed because you want to be here? Or are you committed uh, and just going to take other visits and maybe decommit? I think it, the time for clarity is now for Ohio State because, you know, with a guy like Omari Abor, there's talented guys out there who could probably help Ohio State next year, uh, you know, bolster up that defensive line. Omari Abor could be one of them, but he could not be. And so you kind of have to think about that if you're Ohio State. Do we want to go through, you know, the secondary recruiting process of a guy who's supposedly committed here? Or do we want to go, you know, all in on a, on a, a guy who has college experience? And yeah, so I think this, it's an interesting balance for Ohio State to strike right now because Ohio State's not a high pressure, you know, commit, commit, commit. But also when you're committed, you need to be committed. Especially when it's taken that long to get committed. And it's not a situation where he committed super early or, you know, uh, this is sort of the catch 22 of the new era of college football. These, these schools are going to have to set a standard. They're going to have to set a baseline to say, we're going to be willing to let you explore and do this and that. And we're going to hold a spot for you all this time, which the Buckeyes did. But at the same time, once that spot, once you've taken it and you've said, Hey, I'm in, and there's only three weeks to signing day. And then you're still talking about other schools. I think it just puts both sides in a precarious position. I wrote about that on Tuesday's recruiting question of the day on lettermanroad.com is like, 
Amari Abor and Ohio State are both going to have to decide what they want. And, and Omari Abor has, you know, uh, been a guy, like I said, Ohio State's recruited him longer than anybody. Does that matter to him? And, and is the relationship with Larry Johnson, does that matter the most? And, and if it does, then at some point between now and Friday and between now and February 2nd, you almost have to sit down with yourself and look in the mirror and say, hey, this is, uh, this is what I've been waiting for. What what else are you still trying to get out of this process? Uh, because the process has been going on for for a guy like that for for two and a half years. So uh, I just think it's interesting as we head into it. There's nothing planned yet. There's nothing like that we've seen confirmed visit elsewhere. But I know that Texas and Florida are the teams that people keep talking about. And um, I, I I think it's fascinating to see how Ohio State handles that if he makes that decision. So um, you know we have three weeks as I said till signing day, uh, February signing day period. Signing day, signing period, whatever. Um, and really, if it's not Omari Abor uh, that we're talking about over the next couple of weeks, the only other guy we're going to talk about is Christian Miller, uh, especially now that Carson Hinsman has committed to Ohio State, and he seems pretty locked in regardless of the coaching change at Ohio State. I still think Ohio State's in a better position with Christian Miller than people are giving them credit for, but it is interesting with Georgia winning the national championship, there's going to be this push there uh, from them. And, you know, guys, he's not going to visit Ohio State again. So, I mean, he's probably going to have a chance to get over to Georgia for another day uh, just because he lives so close. But how does Ohio state have to approach that in your mind? I, I think this is going to be tough for Ohio state because, you know, like you said, he lives pretty close to Georgia. He can take those visits to Georgia. I think with Georgia winning a national championship, the likelihood of more defensive linemen leaving than not is higher because some of those guys were borderline. Now that you win a championship, do you just kind of, you know, go out, for winning a championship, maybe another defensive line spot opens up for Christian Miller to, you know, be solidified in the Georgia class and not just be maybe a, a Georgia commit. So it's interesting. I think that, you know, if there's one thing that, that Georgia winning did help, it's probably in the recruiting of Christian Miller. And, you know, Ohio State laid it all out on the, laid it all out there for Christian Miller. Christian Miller knows exactly what Ohio State's recruiting him for. He knows where he stands with Ohio State. If he wants in the class, he's going to be in the class. He knows what Antoine Jackson sold him for the last couple of years. And, and now it's just up to Christian Miller to decide exactly what he wants. And if he wants to stay home, well, Georgia is a great destination. They just hoisted the trophy last night. If he wants to, you know, be developed by Larry Johnson and, and go the path of his mentor, uh, Antoine Jackson, then that's another story. So I just think this is about, you know, what's he want? What does he want? It's about comfort and relationship. Comfort is at home, but relationship is with Larry Johnson. And so you kind of are, he's kind of, I guess I guess Ohio State and Georgia are tied because if you use that car acronym like we always do, Berm, comfort and relationships. Well, comfort, like I just said, is at home. Relationship is at Ohio State. And so it's just interesting because this is a recruitment that we don't see very often with with that comfort and relationship thing. It's just been so damn hard to evaluate Christian Miller's recruitment because he's such a game player and he goes back and forth about tweeting Georgia graphics, tweeting Ohio State graphics, like uh, publicly doing that that type of thing. So it's been so hard to gauge what kind of where his stance is. And he's been going for so long. And then he was supposed to commit the All-American Bowl and then push that back. And then, like Spencer just said, <clears throat> I mean, Georgia's home. They just won a national championship with one of the nastiest defenses in college football history. So if if, if that's what if that's what appeals to him the most, then – and there it is. And then there's, uh, like you just said, I don't want to belabor the points he just made, but you have Larry Johnson as the the goat or the OG Snoop Dogg or recruiting. What, however, Christian Miller always seems to describe him. And it's it's the same thing as Amari Abor that we yeah. were just talking about. That relationship with Larry Johnson has been there so long. 
And we now are going to see if that's what kind of takes the day for Ohio State now coming down the stretch. What's really, really unique about Christian is that after getting to talk to him over the last year and getting to know, I don't know, and I know publicly it looks like he's playing the game, but I really think he's genuinely torn between the two. He's not a kid who was born in Georgia, grew up, you know, loving the bold, the dogs. Like he, he's from Tampa originally. Uh, you know, Ohio State and the relationship he has with Anton Jackson, with Larry Johnson, the up. And I, I think that what makes him really unique is that 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 comfort in relationships is wherever he is because he's that type of kid who is truly comfortable in his own skin. And I, I think it's just a matter of what atmosphere you want, uh, you know, and, and being closer to where you're, where you live. I think maybe there's an opportunity for greater distractions and stuff like that, that you have to deal with when you're there. Um, and I don't think that he's, I don't think he's decided. I mean, talking to him last week, it just seems like he's very, Split. I mean, everyone knows it's going to be Ohio State or Georgia, and he's going you know, to take an opportunity to to go to to Florida and go to Oregon and go to Florida A and M, and he wants to see these other places. But even knowing that he's going to see those schools, Ohio State and Georgia, something bad would have to happen to both of those places for either one of them not to be their the final choice. But again, back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, Dan Lanning is one of the guys recruiting him to to Georgia. Now maybe that that. Uh, opens up a lane for Georgia for Oregon to add an elite southeastern defensive tackle or defensive end to its class and start to build that out there. You know, Florida has a brand new coaching staff with a lot of energy around it right now. Christian Miller liked Florida a while back. So like you just don't really know. And so he's such a a nice kid that he he talks highly of everyone because he truly can build relationships, like you said, from wherever he goes. And so this is one of the most I guess it's it's an overused word, but it's one of the most unique recruitments I've seen just because of the way he is as a person. He can yeah. be friends with anyone he wants to be. And so he's, like you said, he's comfortable wherever he goes. And so I think, you know, I do think it's Georgia or Ohio State, but hey, maybe Dan Lanning has something for him at Oregon. Maybe Billy Napier can sell him something at Florida that, that can't be sold with the depth charts at Ohio State and Georgia. So you just don't really know. He's a wild card. Uh, that's what we know for sure about Christian Miller, because I think a lot of people have just written him off as not going to be a member of this Ohio State class. And I do think that there's a legitimate chance that he still signs with Ohio State uh, in February. And, you know, we could talk at length about that. We've actually talked at length longer about this than I anticipated. We were going to talk a little bit about the new coaches at Ohio State. And then I wanted to break down what we saw, you know, what I saw in San Antonio, what you guys saw watching the games and uh, the All-American Bowls and um, getting an idea of, of where we think things are heading with the guys that are currently signed for Ohio State. So uh, let's first talk about Justin Fry, the new offensive run game coordinator, assistant coach to the offense, uh, offensive line coach. I don't know how these titles get created, but um, Spencer, you know, you are sort of more of our residential football nerd, um, and that, which is, I think, your new official title. Congratulations. You've been promoted to a football nerd guy. Everyone's getting promotions nowadays. There yeah, you you're you're the assistant recruiting to the director of football nerdity. Football nerdity. Um, what is Justin Fry's mentality as an offensive line coach, and why is it a change for Ohio State? I think it's a change for Ohio State because uh, you know, no, nothing against Greg Strzelow. The, the things that I'm about to say are, are, are nothing bad about Greg Strzelow, but it seemed like the offensive line run scheme was pretty stale. And the way that Ohio State was trying to do things was pretty stale in the run game. And if Ryan Day allows Justin Fry to have 
some control over what the offensive line does as far as in the run game, Ohio State will be able to not only maul people up front, but also be athletic enough to get to the edge. You know, one of the things that stands out to me about Justin Fry is he's willing to line up and, and hit you in the mouth and, and run the ball between the tackles. But those guards are going to be athletic enough and going to be able to move well enough to pull a lot. And the tight ends are going to be able to, to pull around and block and, and things like that. The, the different, uh, you know, looks that he gives when he's commanding the run game, it really stands out as something that Ryan Day can take full advantage of. And, and Trayvon Henderson could run, you know, absolutely wild in a system like that. So uh, it's going to be an intriguing option for recruits once they see it. I don't know how much it will impact 23 until later because of the fact that he's going to be in there for the first year. You don't know how much he's going to actually establish that in the first year. But once recruits see the high level of play from a Justin Fry offensive line and the, you know, the way that Ohio State entices guys to play on the offensive line anyways, I think it could be really, really special for recruiting. And I think Ohio State definitely upgraded in the recruiting department with Justin Fry. Misconception. It's so interesting to me and intriguing is, Ohio State waited so long to fill out its 2022 offensive line class. They only had two guys committed for like a year uh, since July when George Fitzpatrick became the second guy. And then they waited so long for uh, to finally bring in Avery Henry and uh, take a flyer on him and then waited so long for Carson Hensman. So now in the 23 class, they probably they may have to wait even longer to see that class fill out because you're bringing in a new offensive line coach. Recruits are going to want to see sort of how that plays out, what he's like, not just as a relationship builder, but what he brings to the field, just like you were kind of saying. So I just wanted to say that maybe we we might have to wind up being more patient in the 23 offensive line class, just like we were in the 2022 cycle. Yeah, I think one of the interesting misconceptions about uh, the Oregon offense, which is what I consider what Justin Fry has always been a part of because he's a Chip Kelly uh, disciple, is that the Oregon offense is actually a power run offense, uh, one that is predicated on running between the tackles and not being this wide open spread offense that people sort of assume that it always has been because you had athletes that got to the edge very quickly, but that wasn't always the plan. They, they were just twitchy guys that could get inside or outside. You know, as far as a recruiter goes, I think it's the, the, the thing that's going to be interesting to watch for me, Justin Fry's never had to recruit Ohio State caliber players, and that is a different world. Uh, you are required to recruit a touch differently when you're dealing with the top 50 players in the country, as opposed to, uh, you know, a low three-star kid in California who the opportunity to play at UCLA is a big deal and, and they're going to take it almost immediately. Ohio State's going to be recruiting the best of the best. And I think that, you know, as Ohio State makes this decision to move on Justin Fry and Notre Dame now brings in Harry Highstand again at, at, uh, to run their offensive line, who's one of the all-time best offensive line coaches. Uh, there is going to be this sort of measuring stick of how does Justin Fry stack up. Uh, and he's just officially, you know, announces the, the uh, offensive line coach at Ohio State on Tuesday morning. So I don't know exactly who his first calls were to, but I think the Buckeyes obviously need off, uh, uh, offensive linemen that are super athletic, that are guys that are, are technical and, and ability to, to do multiple things. And I think it's going to be Interesting to see how quickly he prioritizes players like Luke Montgomery and gets on the phone with them. I did talk to some players out in San Antonio at the combine, the national combine on Friday from the West Coast and asked them, you know, have you heard from Justin Fry? What's he like? Uh, and all of the, the responses were pretty much what you'd expect. Very personable guy, young guy. He gets it. Um, but again, Spencer recruiting at Ohio State and recruiting at uh, UCLA are different.
Well, two two things, and I'll try to be quick because I want Zach to be able to weigh in. Uh, UCLA's recruiting philosophy is terrible. Uh, I'll just say that the way that Chip Kelly slow plays everything in the recruiting department, I know they're starting to get better at it, but you know, they used to do the thing where they only offered guys one day a year and they would just send out bulk offers on that one day, or, you know, the first of every month they would send out their offers that just doesn't work. And so Justin Fry was playing from behind and recruiting at UCLA just due to the fact that that's how Chip Kelly was running his recruiting department. So don't worry about, you know, you know, Justin Bryce only recruited three-star guys. Well, that's what you recruit to UCLA. You don't recruit the five-star guys to UCLA. And so that's one thing. And the second thing is, you know, there were recruits who did not connect with Greg Sadrawa. That's just the facts of the matter. They just didn't connect with him. I think we can all agree with that. You know, I, I think about a guy, and I don't want to get Ohio State fans' hopes up, but like a guy like Caden Proctor, who Ohio State was really high on, and he wasn't really high on Ohio State, and I think that had to do a lot with Greg Sadrawa. That's the kind of player that if you're Justin Fry and you're Ohio State, you try to build that relationship back up now that you have a young, energetic, personable, uh, you know, nice guy that also is, you know, a really, a really good coach in Justin Fry. And so I think that this move, you know, allows him to get back in the game for some of these guys. I, you know, maybe it's not that kind of caliber player. Maybe it's more of like, you know, you call a, who is it, Chase Basontis? Is that how you say his name? You call the yeah. company, you know. Maybe this gives you a leg up because this is a young, energetic guy. And it's an area that, you know, Ohio State just really didn't have a lot of energy at uh, from from the last offensive line coach. And I think it's getting there with with uh, it's going to get there pretty quickly with Justin Bryant. Only, only thing I have to add is just now you're playing a little bit from behind. Like you said, you might be able to get in on some of these guys um, or kind of re um, sort of reopen their, those recruitments and uh, get your foot back in the door. Only problem is with guys like Caden Proctor who have had relationships with Iowa's uh, coaches or Alabama's coaches for so long. Now you're kind of playing a, a little bit of um, kind of trailing here because now you have to, uh, uh, just Fry's going to have to come in here and immediately hit the ground running, which he will do. I mean, every time a new coach is hired, boom, like they're on the phone like that with the priority recruits that the head coach tells him. Here's who you need to get on the phone with. So no doubt he's been on the phone with Luke Montgomery already, Chase Basantis, Peyton Kirkland, um, Josh Padilla already committed those guys, but we'll see. I mean, with a guy like Caden Proctor, we will, um, he's been, he was a priority for a long time. And like Spencer said, he was, uh, Ohio state kind of slipped there. So we'll see if Justin Fry is able to do anything, um, to, to get back in that recruitment. Yeah. We, we were both been told by Proctor that, you know, he was not likely to consider Ohio state under the, the former um, situation. Maybe it changes. And I do think that the, you, there's a risk you run in bringing in a guy from the West coast. Who's not familiar at all with, you know, Midwest football and what Ohio state is, but you know, he still has an opportunity starting this week to walk into buildings with an Ohio state logo on his chest. And that generally opens the door uh, pretty wide open. Uh, but I agree. I think that, you know, for him, it's just about hitting the ground running and making sure that he's in very regular communication with Mark Pantone and saying what kind of guys he likes for his offensive line and letting uh, Pantone and the Ohio State recruiting staff, which is you know one of the best in the country, to to really go out there and find those guys that fit. And, I, you know, the, the names you mentioned specifically, Montgomery, Basantis, Proctor, I mean, those are guys that I'm sure by the end of Tuesday will all have been on the phone with Justin Fry and, and getting to know him. One thing really quickly. Uh, Justin Fry, if, if you're an Ohio State fan and you have a little bit of reservations about him, and, and this can translate to recruiting, watch UCLA's game or the highlights against LSU. LSU had a terrible run defense this year. Nonetheless, 
LSU's guys are still 330, 340-pound guys who are SEC defensive linemen, and UCLA was absolutely blowing them off the ball. And it wasn't because UCLA was stronger or more powerful than LSU because they weren't. It was the, the technique and the way that they were doing things and the different schemes that they had in the run game. That translates. Recruits watch games. Offensive linemen are some of the smartest recruits out there. And so you know they'll watch that. They'll understand that. And they'll see what Justin Fry can do, what he has done. And I think it's going to elevate the the ceiling of where Ohio State can be as a recruiting force along the offensive line here in the next couple of years. And there's no doubt they're watching the offensive line recruits were watching that game last night. And how did Georgia win that national title? By push by their push up front. They started taking control of the ground game in the third and fourth quarter. And that's how they won. So offensive line recruits are watching that and saying, I want to play in a game like that. I want to be bulldozing people to win a national title. So if Justin Fry, he's going to have to show that those are opportunities that you can have at Ohio State. And, uh, you know, uh, we'll turn the tide from there. Uh, not that's a pun. That's a Georgia related pun, but I didn't really mean for it to be. But let's, you know, as There's we're talking about, uh, I have my moments. I have my moments. Moving ahead, however, we're going to go back to last week uh, in San Antonio, where I was for the All American Bowl. Um, you know, there were 10 Ohio State commitments, signees in the game. Only six got to play, unfortunately, because of things, whatever. Um, you know, guys, things we're not allowed to talk about on YouTube. Um, so the situation is this. Ohio State had three offensive linemen out there, and I wrote about this on, on uh, Sunday. These three linemen that they have committed, and we'll start with them and then move to the other positions since we're still talking a little bit about Justin Fry. It's very – unique how very different each of these players are as far as where they're at in their personal developments. Like Tiger Shibola is so big and, and so athletic that, you know, I've actually been kind of hard on him over the last year and a half. I, I My opinion on Tiger Shibola has changed pretty significantly in the last few weeks. I, I think that he's going to be a really good player at Ohio State um, and, and probably at guard, which is where he lined up most of the time. I think you could see him maybe move down to tackle later in his career, but uh, very impressed with with what I saw from him. And then with George Fitzpatrick and, and recent commit Carson Hinsman, those two are really technically sound players. And those are guys that are going to get a lot bigger when they get to Ohio State. And I think that that's really what Ohio State needs. These are guys who understand the fundamentals of playing offense. But for Carson Hinsman, guys, like he's played at a triple option offense his whole life, doesn't know how to pass protect, pass protect at all. Yeah, and when you look at the way that these offensive linemen are, and, and it all relates back to you know the, who their coaches. You know, these are four-star guys who you know can develop into five-star talents. And what does Justin Fry do? He develops four-star, three and four-star guys and makes them into to top-level talents. And so they're already starting with a baseline of, of they're going to be developed pretty well. But but when you mix in the technicalities and the ways that they can block, especially in the run game, which is where I think Ohio State struggled the most this last year. You really look at the upside moving forward of this offensive line. Those three could all be really talented players. I wouldn't be surprised to see all three of those guys become Ohio State starters at some point. Yeah, first off with Carson, I mean, not to uh, compare different positions, but you saw like with Julian Fleming when he uh, he was in a uh, wing T offense, a uh, one receiver set offense. He it's taken him time to develop into a receiver. Now this upcoming season is going to kind of be his sort of, I guess, his make or break season. And I, I wonder if Carson Hensman might take him a couple of years similarly to get used to playing in a system like Ohio State when he's coming from the triple option, like you said. Uh, and and Tegra uh, Shibola, he's a guy that I've also been 
uh, very low on for a long time now. Um, last time I saw him was in the summer at over at Lakota West. And I mean, he didn't look great. He looked out of shape. He looked gassed. I know it's the summer, so kind of maybe being a little harsher on him than uh, they would be in season. And, but I know from talking to some people, he wasn't really serious about the weight room. He wasn't serious about working out or losing weight, gaining muscle and all that type of thing. But from all, by all accounts from uh burn, from you seeing him from, uh, uh, from video clips, uh, what have you, it does look like he has substantially improved and you're seeing that in the rankings. He's been moving up the rankings. He looks more fluid. I haven't seen him, seen him in person since the summer though. So I can't, I don't have a firsthand account. So I, I'd still, I, I still want to go see him. He's not an early enrollee anymore. So I'd like to go see him sometime in the winter or spring and see how he's improved. Yeah. I mean, he's just a kid that at some point when you're an offensive lineman and you're that much bigger than everyone else you play against, I think it, it, it allows you to get somewhat lackadaisical uh, because just by being on the field, you're that much better than everyone else. And I think having the opportunity for him last week to go against some really, really good defensive linemen on the east side, Michael Williams, um, uh, Marvin Jones, guys like that, and then having to play against guys like Caden Curry uh, in the game, I think you start to really figure out exactly, okay, I need to get better at this. I need to do this. And I saw and talked with Tegra last week, and he was really taking things seriously, and I think it was a, a really important step uh, for him. And we, I don't, you know, we're running up against time here, our, our goal time. Um, and we're interested in your, in our goals, folks. It's 2022. New you, new year, baby. New New Year, new us. Erin, um, what's your New Year's resolution? To make sure Caden Curry gets all of the respect he deserves in the national <laughs> rankings. Uh, topical, topical resolution. There yeah, that's go. about it. That's about it. Uh, guys, you watched the game. I, I saw Caden all week at practice. I know that he's a tweener. I know he's six foot three and 240 pounds, and he'll probably end up at 255, 260 by the time he's you know at his regular playing weight at Ohio State. But tell me what you saw watching the game. I saw a guy. I, I saw a guy who is ranked outside the top 300, outside the top 150 in a lot of rankings, and he, that I, I've seen him like play six, five or six games in his career. And I've noticed the Dwight Freen, that Dwight Freeney spin move looked, for some reason, even quicker and faster when it was at the All-American Bowl going up against better talent than he did when he was playing at Indiana. Maybe <clears throat> that's just the product of he he pulls that move off so often during a game. So maybe, like, he gets a little uh, – get loses, like, a quarter of a step throughout the game. But he looked so quick off the ball. He had that, that motor and passion that we always talk about. It was there during the All-American Bowl. I mean, he almost came up with a sack and uh, dude wound up getting a, like 15-yard gain out of it. You could see Caden Curry in the background just pissed off at himself, like like uh, tapping his helmet. The very next play, what do you do, Berm? He'd sack the dude the next play. So I, I know, I, I understand that he doesn't have the length. He's the tweener. He's like officially six two and a half, and a like half. And I mean, they're, like, there's not – I just don't give about any of that okay <laughs> like he should be ranked in the top 50 he's he always the highest ranked is number 60 on rivals and everyone else espm has a 92 on three has him outside the top 300 that will change that will change how, how high he moves i don't know change i mean i was watching the chargers game and i'm sorry but i'm like i'm kind of pissed off that this is still that he's still this lowly ranked and this off the radar but i was like i know we talk about the bose comparisons but Watching that Chargers Raiders game and watching Curry on Saturday, 
he moves like Joe, Joey Bosey, just like has that feel about him. And I just, right. it, he needs more national respect. And I, I hope he eventually gets it. Martin, you've said for a couple of years now that if he played in Florida or Georgia, he would be a top 100 player, maybe even a five-star. I don't even think it need, he would need to do that. I think he would need to just be in like, I don't know, there's guys from St. Louis that are ranked really highly. There's guys from Ohio that are ranked really highly. Like if he was just anywhere other than the state of Indiana, I think he would be a top 100 player, surefire. But the fact that not a lot of guys have, frankly, just seen him in person. Uh, you know, or made the trip or took taking the time to get to know him or, you know, watch his huddle film because for some reason it wasn't available very often. Like he, he should be up there. And and, and I think it's yeah. an omission on the recruiting side. You know what? These recruiting guys are so good at what they do. And and I think all the three of us would agree. They are so talented at nailing down which players are really good and which players aren't. Every once in a while they miss. This yeah, is I don't even I don't know that it's a miss. It's it's more of a miss by omission because, as you said, a lot of people just haven't seen what Caden Curry can do. Uh, his huddle film is private. That's just the way his high school coach operates, so it's not just public for people to see. Um, and, and quite frankly, I, I think that you look at it and say, if he's making it look this easy, then the guys he's playing against can't be very good. And that's just not the case. I mean, he, he's just – and I the thing for me with Caden Curry last week was – Playing with that motor in a game that didn't matter to really anyone else out there says so much to me about him. And we were talking, walking off the field after the game, and, you know, he was annoyed that, like, he wasn't the strongest guy out there, that he, it was, that he was pushed around a little bit by six foot eight, 390-pound Keontae Goodwin. And he's like, you know, now I can go get strong. Now I can go to Ohio State and get strong. He's already moved in. He moved in, actually, the week when Ohio State was in California, so he didn't have to – get home to Indiana on Sunday and move. He actually moved a week before everyone else. And um, I think the future is just super bright for him. And, you know, we, we're running very much against time here, but Keon Gray is just exactly what you thought he's going to be. Kojo Antwi, he's, he's raw, super athletic. He's going to need to gonna have to learn to be a wide receiver. Uh, you know, right now he's just making a do on his own. Um, we didn't get to see much of Devin Brown in the game, but as you watch him all week, he's, he's just a perfect fit for Ohio State quarterback. Um, and guys, we have like 15 seconds from each of you, a final thought, and then uh, we'll wrap up this episode of Talking Stuff. I mean, like you said, the Keon Gray stuff, I know that up and out route they ran in the game was absolutely straight up filthy. I mean, he put the cornerback on skates. I don't remember who it was. It's just seeing him at the opening last summer in July, when me and Burn went out there, it was, it, he had that smoothness. He was just route runner. I mean, I think. Armani Winfield, one of the Texas receivers, his nickname was the route doctor. Keon Gray's, his nickname needs to be the route doctor because he just, he knows how to get open. And I never had a true appreciation for guys like that until I, until I came onto the Ohio State beat and watched Chris Olave do, uh, go to work without being a, a top speed guy. It, it's just that smoothness and polish, knowing how to get open type of receiver. And I think he's going to be a two-year starter. I, I just, I, he just, that's who he is to me. He's going to be a two-year starter at Ohio State. He's going to be the fan favorite, like you said. Yeah, that, that says it all. I'll, I'll leave it at that. We'll talk more about this over the next few weeks, but, uh, you know, there's a lot heading into the next uh, signing day period in February. That's Zach Carpenter, Spencer Holbrook. I'm Jeremy Birmingham. This has been Talking Stuff presented by Buyers Auto. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.